Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, before we kick off today's episode, I had something really cool that I wanted to share with all of you from our friends over at Exodus Outdoor Gear. So I'm sure I'd mentioned it, I think, uh, last month about the hashtag Velvet Fest. Then it's finally time to kind of let you know what that is. And it's kicking off here June 12th, going through July 12th of 2019. So if you're not familiar with what that is, it's the official start to deer season. And Exodus is trying to keep uh, the ball rolling for everyone's summer scouting. So all month, they have some awesome prizes for people who use the hashtag VelvetFest on their social medias, showing some of their whitetail adventures, summer scouting, things along those lines. And also, if you're in the market for one of the trail cameras that I've talked about, I've been using now and tested up against about six or seven other brands, they every single camera it comes with a gift. So the gift could be... Uh, wicked hand saws, skull brew coffee, a deer aging kit, or some Exodus merchandise. So, also, every one of those single camera orders comes with a random prize card that you have the ability to scratch off and reveal the prize. So, some of it are some pretty big deals. I mean, some of the grand prizes for each week, just to give you a little bit of an idea. Week one, they're giving out a Maven rifle scope package. Week twos, you get a, a trail camera package from Exodus. Week three is from Tethered, so they're doing a, a saddle package there. Week four is the Exodus Render package, which is their their cell camera, so their Verizon LTE 4G camera that they just released here recently. So you'll be automatically entered with any of the purchases on the website for those grand prizes. So there's a lot that goes into this campaign. I'm not going to sit here and explain all of it. But if you want to head over to their, their website and check it out uh, and make sure you're signed up for their newsletter so you don't miss out on any of those deals. So go over and check that out. And while we're kind of on the topic here, let's get into the partners of the podcast. So University of Elk Hunting, Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive elk hunting course available online resource that goes through just about everything which i've had Corey on here now three times to talk about some of the parts of this course and some of the things you'll get out of it recently i've been on it again i'm still in the scouting phases as i'm going to a whole new state new unit i've never stepped foot on never saw it before so I'm using some of his strategies and using Google Earth and Onyx to be able to find some of these, you know, these areas that uh, mark down on the map and hopefully find some elk this September. But anyways, if you want to go over, check that out. Um, the online course, use code East Meets West. It'll give you 20% off that online course. In addition to that, Maven Optics. So Maven has really built optics that are at the highest quality right up there with some of your leading competitors. Um, you know, for example, like your Swarovski, like uh, Zeiss is top high end brands at half the price by being able to be direct to consumer. 
So basically cut, cutting out the middleman, they're the ones that are interacting with their customers themselves An extremely, extremely good customer service based company. They're not trying to grow huge. They want to put out the best quality products at a good price. I'm excited to get their new S2 spotting scope in. I built a custom one on the website there recently and it looks pretty badass. So I'm excited to get that in and use that with only weighing two pounds. It's really lightweight. It's 12 to 27 power. Um, definitely go check that out. If you're wanting to place an order on a new Maven spotter, binoculars, rifle scope, whatever that might be. If you enter in the code East meets West dash gift, get yourself a free gift with uh, any full price camera purchase. So with that being said, today's podcast is with Brady Miller of Go Hunt, and we're talking about target panic in this one. Something that I brought up in the intro here in recent weeks is I've been struggling going through um, kind of some of my update with that progress. i at the point now where I'm shooting at the target with my eyes open, kind of letting that pin float a little bit and practicing back tension, still not going back to any distance, shooting it like, I don't know, five feet, 10 feet, really. I mean, it's close. I'm just going through the practice and back tension um, with with that release. So it's been going well. I'm feeling good. There's still some little tweaks I think I need to work out now that I've been looking down at the pin. Every once in a while, I'm catching myself kind of holding low and letting panic set in a little bit. So I'm going to do some more drills this week where I'm not even shooting, where I'm just drawing back and letting the pin float over the X and then letting the bow up. So that's one of the things I'm working on this week. But um, Brady on this podcast, he wrote a great article uh, over at GoHunt.com about this topic. And that was one of the reasons why I reached out to him to come on the podcast, talk about it. Him and I were originally going to do one on mule deer hunting, which I promise I will have him back on to do that later this year. But for right now, I felt like it was pertinent. And after you know, kind of sharing some of my progress on social media. Seems like there's a lot of people struggling with it themselves. So hopefully this episode helps you out and go through Brady's process and how he cured it for himself. So go check that out. And with that being said, let's jump right into the podcast here. Brady Miller of Go Hunt. All right, we're live. I have Brady Miller on the line this evening. Brady, what's going on? Hey, it's it's going right now. It's actually really cool out in Las Vegas, so it's not like that summer nasty heat yet. So life is actually good down here right now. <laughs> yeah, what, when you say cooler weather, what are you talking about? What kind of temps? I, it's like six, you know, like 65, 70 right now. Oh, that's not too bad. I figured you were still going to say in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like two two weeks ago, it was 90 degrees out. And then we went to up to the Archer Ranch, tried to shoot a little bit. And it was just, we're already melting. Like, Man, this is going to be a bad start for the summer. It's already 90 degrees out, you know, in the middle of May. And then forever, it starts cooling down now. Now it's like, man, this is awesome. It should stay this temperature forever. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty ide- it, ideal temperature. <laughs> Yeah, because in like another month, they're going to be out shooting bows and doing whatnot, and it's going to be, you know, 100 degrees out the whole time. <laughs> so uh, I'm not jealous uh, of you not, there. Not fun coming up. <laughs> no, no, I won't be either. 
Yeah. So what uh, you were saying, you were pretty busy around the office today at uh, the Go Hunt headquarters there. So this might be a good way to kind of segue into your background a little bit, Brady. Yeah. So yeah, I work for Go Hunt right now. I basically started with them right when the company came about in uh, 2014. I just basically manage right now. I'm a digital content manager. So I manage all of our writers, uh, do much photography work. Uh, write myself quite a bit, build all the articles for Go Hunt. And yeah, basically we just, you know, have a big uh, research service called Insider. Basically just helps people, you know, kind of get over that learning curve of, you know, trying to hunt out West and show people like, hey, these are draw odds. These are, you know, over-the-counter hunts you can do every year. These are all like the, you know, state numbers, like harvest data, buck doe ratios, bull cow ratios, harvest success rates, public land percentages, basically get people out in the field more and break that learning curve. So we do a lot of that and we also have a big gear shop. And so we're just, yeah, always a lot of people coming in the office. Like today was pretty crazy. You guys want to talk about archery stories about getting ready to go bear hunting. And I talk about my stories and <laughs> yeah, one thing after another, you realize you just talked hunting for 30 minutes in the middle of the day, which I love doing, but it's like, Oh, we got a lot of work to do too. So yeah. Do you, um, do so do you actually have like a shop that people can walk into? Yeah, we actually do. I mean, we don't, you know, being in Las Vegas, you know, there's not a lot of people who come in, but we got like during like the show season, we have quite a few people who will come in, pick up a backpack or, you know, pick up a archery site or something like that because they don't want to, you know, they'd rather take it here and bring it home and, and, you know, just wait to get it shipped. We have free shipping and everything, but yeah, there's not a lot of big, you know, hunters in Las Vegas, but we do have a nice showroom and people come back, check out stuff, check on backpacks, look at, you know, whatever they want to do, look at optics and so we do, uh, we do a lot of stuff at Gohan now. I started just the whole research side of things and now, you know, diving in the store, a, a great way to, you know, give the quality gear back to people that we all use ourselves. So it's just a, another great way to, you know, give back to the hunting community instead of having to like, like myself, like I, I know way back in the day I used to buy, you know, multiple different types of backpacking stoves, different types of backpacks. And then later on I was like, man, I just wasted a bunch of money trying out things that, I thought were great, but it really weren't because we're trying to save money. And now it's just like, Hey, we should just use or sell everything that we all like and use. So cut that learning curve. People don't have to waste their money on, you know, any multiple of things when it comes to hunting. Cause you know, hunting out West definitely gets up expensive fast when you have to throw gear on top of it. So yeah, just no, I um, make that easier for people. I've been a member of go hunt since I started hunting out West. It was 2016 and is when I first, you know, found it and it's been a huge, you know, the same time that I found Corey's university of elk hunting and both those, you know, in conjunction with conjunction with each other have been super helpful. And, and the, the gear shop, like you said, is nice because it's, there's not many places as far as like a hunting based, either online store, or definitely not brick and mortar that you can find, you know, the backpacking gear that you need and the hunting gear all in one place and kind of get the perks of it from when you sign up, being able to get, you know, points and earn points towards, uh, you know, future purchases. So it's a, it's a pretty nice setup. Yeah. So it's been fun too, especially if you can, you know, call us up and talk to a guy like trail on the phone who lives in Utah, who's just a gear fanatic. And you could ask him anything under the sun and he has opinions on everything. And, but like you go to a, you know, like a normal brick and mortar store who they deal with all sorts of customers. You ask them, Hey, what's the best, you know, headlamp with the, you know, like with at least 300 lumens, they'll probably look at you like, what did you just ask me? <laughs> Cause they're probably not that specialized in that like backpacking side of things and, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, it works out really well. 
Yeah, it's kind of like the the idea. But I, I worked in an archery pro shop for three years, and and we always would joke amongst each other. It's like you know, you go into a, a big box store, you know, named Brand X, and um, and you talk to someone about archery equipment, and they might have came from the footwear section the the week before. So it's uh, it's tough to get that exactly. that valuable information from people that actually you know know about the products. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, I um so we've I've talked actually about Go Hunt quite a bit on the the podcast recently as I've been diving into planning my hunts for this year and and uh, I've settled on Idaho, so I've been really diving into some of that stuff and pretty cool to uh be able to well, I found out recently from diving into it that, you know, you can, I can hunt elk over the counter in the zone that I'm going. I can pick up a mule deer tag, which can be used for black bear, mountain lion, wolf, the whole bit. So that's a, it's pretty cool setup. And I was able to find that out by using, you know, the insider program there. It's like, I might be biased, you know, obviously, cause I work here now, but it's like when I lived, cause I lived in Montana and it was like a, I was a fisheries biologist for USGS for, you know, like 10 years in Northwest Montana. And like looking back now, if I knew what we had with these insider tools on go hunt, like I would have hunted some totally different areas in Montana. Like, I don't even know why I was wasting my time before like hunting these areas that had super low success rates. Cause back in the day, that stuff was so hard to find to dig through biology reports and dig through PDF documents. Like, okay, what's actually the bull cow ratio or buck doe ratio in this and this unit. And like, yeah, like you just said, it makes it so much easier when it's all laid out in front of you and you can figure out all these little honey holes about, oh, I can actually go here over the counter and it's actually really high success rate, really good numbers of animals. And then you dive into it like, oh, this is a terrain I really like because this is terrain that actually like a glass or this is terrain that you know, has been a bunch of dark pockets that we release on all like in, on our unit profiles. And it's like diving into that. It's like something super fun. Like even us here working at Go Hunt, like I go through some of this stuff all the time during application strategy season and I'm like, man. I just learned something new and this has been in front of me for, you know, ever on insider. And it's like, you just always are finding new little honey holes. Like it's, it's amazing what you can come up with. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's really cool. And and I've really tried to like focus my efforts when I'm scouting to places that I'm looking at or looking to draw rather than trying to take it all in at one time. But this year, especially with the, the podcast and everything, I've been trying to capture a little bit on each, um, state and some of the, the draw information, not going in extreme detail, but giving people information where to find it, you know, through outlets like go hunt and everything. So I've, I've really, uh, dove into it a lot more and found I was, you know, missing out on applying to places that, that I should have been in the past. And, you know, it kind of opened up my whole strategy to, you know, states and units and things that I didn't, uh, realize that we're out there so that's been a really cool process to be able to to be able to see that yeah because the west is so overwhelming <laughs> like when it comes down to it like if you had to dive into a hunting regulations book and you're like trying to find an elk hunt for the first time like i don't even know how people would start you know without doing this you know i had the fortune to live out west for quite a while so it kind of was firsthand but like gosh anyone else nowadays it's like it, it, it makes it tough like to break that hurdle and so I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad to hear people like you like getting use out of it. Like that's what we're all about, showcasing that opportunity, get people out west, and you know, get tags in your pocket. So, and one thing that just on like when you're looking at like the certain unit profiles for, um, you know, whatever species it may be, one thing that's actually been helpful. I mean, I kind of take it a little bit with a grain of salt, but the comment sections underneath, 
you know, people that have went and hunted the units and like, they'll ask questions leading up to it. And then they go and hunt it and they give their feedback. And, and the reason why I say I take it with a grain of salt is you, it's hard to tell, you know, what kind of effort they put in or anything else. You know, if they say, Oh, there was no deer, no elk there or whatever, but, um, it's been really helpful. And then, you know, people like yourself and trail and everyone that's commenting back on it and giving some pretty good feedback. It's just been, it's been really, really helpful. in in my process of, you know, trying to learn these Western States coming from Pennsylvania. Exactly. You'd be surprised. Like you said, like definitely got to take it with a grain of salt sometimes, but you'd be surprised what people are willing to give up when they know it's kind of, it's not like a forum where everyone can see it and still kind of, you know, locked behind our insider, you know, subscription only. Those only people who can read those comments are insiders. So like people are definitely willing to give up information, especially when they're like, oh yeah, I take a bull here, you know, every single year in this unit, like boom, someone who's just looking to go on elk hunt and you read a comment like that, like guys are coming out here getting a bull every single year. Like that's a unit you might want to consider because <laughs> yeah. you know, they have high success rates. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And like I said, it's just been really, really helpful uh, for me. And, and I know a lot of people that I've talked to, I mean, all of my friends from the East, if you know, they, everyone has a go hunt account and you know, the same thing, it kind of correlates over to having Onyx maps on their phone. It's just those things that I feel like I, I don't know what I would do without now. <laughs> exactly. And especially like I said earlier, like Corey Jacobson, like all his stuff too. It's like, there's so much good information out there at our fingertips nowadays. It's like, it's, yeah, like all I have to do is like just get rid of that that fear. Like I just want to go try it, and like here's a bunch of resources to help you get in the field and to make sure you're you know hunting public land and all that stuff, making sure you're on the right right path. And then you have all these tools that can just increase your success. It's it's the best time I think ever to be a hunter right now. Yeah, and and one thing I want to just touch on quickly is, you know, it's we invest a lot of money in gear and a lot of people are buying new bows every year and everything else. But if you can invest in yourself and the knowledge that you can gain, I mean, I I try to put my money there more than anything, you know, things like go hunt, you know, the annual membership, if you're going elk hunting Corey's course, or, um, whether that's a, you know, a gym membership, if you're looking to get in shape and, or programs like mountain tough fitness that I recently have been doing things like that, you know, aren't, you know, things that you're holding in your hand as far as an actual product, but the knowledge and information you gain from it, in my opinion, is just, is more important than, than having something physical. Exactly. Like that's where it all comes down to it. Like having, having that knowledge side of it and then just getting the experience and the boots on the ground. And slowly you're just like, wow, like, like you just, yeah, you just got to soak up anything and get your hands on nowadays. Like whether it's books, whether it's, yeah, tools online, like, yeah, all that stuff pays off way more than tangible little pieces of gear here and there. Like no one needs to upgrade their gear every single year. It's silly why a lot of us do it, but it's like, yeah, that getting in the field and just learning about yourself, learning what you can and can't withstand on a backpack hunt, like all that stuff is going to add to success. Like you go out West one time, get your butt kicked. Yeah. It might hurt a little bit. Cause you're going to go back home without, without a tag fill, but like that experience that you just gained from going on your first hunt, like, taking that knowledge and putting it in the next hunt, you'll do things totally different. You'll be so much more dialed if you just take that venture for the first time. Yep. That's my, that's the main, you know, goal I had with this podcast when I started, it was just getting people to do it and you'll learn so much. I mean, yeah, you're never going to have everything figured out, 
but by going out and doing it, you know, when I, I played my first elk hunt nine months before the, it happened, I'd never even been west of the Mississippi and did it and didn't fill a tag, but it was seven days in the backcountry that I learned, you know, a lot about myself and what I couldn't do at the time and, you know, things I needed to work on and, and prepare for, but it was, you know, an experience that I would never take back for anything. Yeah, it builds a lot of character real fast. <laughs> yep, yep, that's that's for sure. But um, so briefly, Brady, before we get into kind of what I wanted to cover here, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of your hunting background? I know you have a pretty steep obsession with mule deer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my back, my background is kind of. I mean, I guess in a way, a lot of people won't see me where I'm at now because, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest, so I was born and raised in Minnesota and, you know, I was a big whitetail guy, obviously growing up there, but I always had this drive to just get out West and hunt mountain States and, and that sort of thing. So after I first, you know, kept seeing my dad keep coming back from, you know, hunting Montana, hunting Wyoming, Colorado, when I was growing up, I was like, man, that's the place I want to be. So basically after, you know, I got to the high school age and I was like, Hey, I want to you know move out West and I just want to leave everything I had home behind at home behind and just say, I just want to try something new and, you know, move to Montana for college. But that was basically, uh, you know, uh, a way for me to say, Hey, I'm just moving to Montana to hunt. I mean, like, I think my parents kind of knew that, like I was going to college obviously, but <laughs> I was going to Montana because I want to be in the mountains and I wanted to experience mountain hunting. And that's what it's like my dream. Like always when I was growing up, just move to the West. And so, yeah, once I saw mountains for the first time, I'll be honest, I was really, really intimidated my first couple of years living there. And I was actually, you know, going back home to Minnesota a lot in the summers. And for a little bit, I was like, man, you know, like I actually like this, you know, farmland, you know, hunting and with, you know, just hunting on a tree stand and stuff like that for a little bit. I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, I'll still, I love the mountains and things like that. But after experience it, maybe it wasn't for me, but then I went back one summer and just start backpacking more. I lived in Montana the whole summer and after that I was like, whoa, I, yeah, this is why I was here. Like, I love this stuff. And then like, after that, I was like, I will, if I never see another whitetail in my life, I'm totally fine with that. And that's where like this big love of, of mule deer I think came from. Cause I just love that adventure side of things. So like just being in the mountains and just testing my body every single day, I was like, this is what I want to be doing and hunting mule deer and hunting in high alpine places and just, just putting my body and like ridiculous, you know, just situations where you're just like surviving, trying to survive. You're not just hunting anymore. You're trying to, you know, figure out where am I going to get my water tomorrow? Where am I going to do this and that? And I was like, this is why mule deer, like, all of a sudden became a huge passion. I mean, I, even even after like I'm moving out west and I kind of like mountains intimidated me for a little bit. But I was like, this has got to be my dream. And then just realized that whoa, there's so much to do out here. And then this the whole like this mule deer bug just hit me, and it's it's stuck for such a long time now. And I. Like I elk hunted for the first time. I, I may elk hunt a little bit, I guess. I lived in Montana, but gave it the first effort this year. You know, I took a bull in Wyoming on a rifle hunt. I archery hunted it first. And like doing all that stuff was a blast. I had an awesome time with the born and raised guys. But like even going through that, people are like, oh, you're going to be so addicted to elk hunting afterwards. Like you're never going to want to mule deer hunt again. And after elk hunting, like I still just love mule deer. I don't know what it is about it, but like, I don't know. They they're such an interesting animal and they're so hard to like figure out and learn. And that's what I think it's just as that new element of just testing yourself, trying to figure out everything you can about a deer that lives up in the mountains every single day, it gets stronger every single day. And I go up there and I just try to survive. It's a, first you have to survive before you can try to hunt. And I think that's a huge challenge and huge fun factor of like moving out West and just hunting out West in general. Yeah. 
I um, it's funny. I was I was doing a podcast. Uh, I just released it yesterday with um, Mark Hulsing from Mexo Mountain Gear, and we were going through gear, and your name got brought up a couple times from you know some of your gear lists and stuff online, and we were just talking about. Uh, well, I was talking about I bought a tent um, based on you were using it last year, and you know had a little bit of review on it. The the Nemo Spike Storm. Oh yeah, and. Yep. I, and that's when you said you like to, you know, go up there and basically survive. I don't know how you sleep in that thing. <laughs> For me personally, <laughs> being claustrophobic and like I set it up in my yard and I'm like, there's no way I can hunt in this. There's absolutely zero way. And I'm going to mention it again. I have it for sale if anybody wants it because I can't, <laughs> I just couldn't figure it out. <laughs> but. Yeah, like that's, that's the funny joke too at the office. All the guys said I can just basically sleep on a rock and I'm totally comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just something to be said. I don't know what it is. And I know my wife hates when I say this, but like I get better sleep in the mountains than I do like in my own bed for whatever reason. I, I, if, you, if you put me in the mountains and I didn't have a cell phone with my alarm clock or a watch with the alarm clock, literally I would probably sleep all day long. I, I'm so comfortable up there. I don't know what it is, but like, yeah, even like sleeping in that Nemo spikes room, it's a tiny, tiny tent. It's basically just like a little coffin <laughs> and it's almost like you can almost say it's a baby sack in a way. And I, I know I definitely, yeah, you're surviving when you're sleeping that thing. Yeah. It's, and, it's and you're so, not a, it's so light. And you're not a short guy either. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I definitely max out that 10. Yeah. I'm like six foot five and it's, it's pushing the boundaries. <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, maybe I just needed to uh, figure out different methods of setting it up or, or something, but it was, it's just, I felt like I was going to, it was just going to blow me down off the mountain. It, it just, I don't know. It felt like that. Yeah. Me, that, that, that I did try to talk to them about adding some more guy lines to that because it definitely needs something on the sides. Cause it's so long and tubular shaped. Like yeah. it gets, it gets pushed around in the wind. So you definitely got to be careful where you pitch your tent, but if they had some guy, guy down the side of it, it'd work out a little bit better, but yeah. And I mean, I guess you, it, since it does have a bottom, it's not like you're going to, you know, it's going to go taken off over the mountain. I had my seek outside simmer on the one year in Colorado and we got a really bad windstorm and I found out why, you know, you should put rocks on top of your stakes as they started pulling out one by one. And I thought I was going to lose all my shelter in the middle of a storm. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, if there's things like that, you learn, <laughs> uh, over time, mm -hmm. that's for sure. <laughs> but, um, so when I, asked you to come on here i was talking to uh, my cousin and one of my good friends who are just mule deer addicts and they love it and i'm i'm going to be mule deer hunting once i kill an elk but i'm so obsessed with just um i guess reaching that goal of doing that and i've come so close i can't switch gears right now and but they they went full force into it and they're like you're having brady miller on and you're not talking all about mule deer and I was like, <laughs> no, I said, I, I have a different, uh, topic. I kind of wanted to dive into with it, but that's why I just wanted to kind of bring up your, your obsession there kind of with mule deer. I think it's, I think that's pretty awesome. And I, I think once I dive into it, I love the high country where I was hunting elk in Colorado was, you know, 11,000 feet and we were finding elk up there, but there was, it was a lot more mule deer type habitat than, than it was um elk at some points but it's just an awesome place to be up that high that's, a, that's another thing like you said too it's just like the gorgeous country you get to see when you're mule deer hunting that's another thing on top of it like yeah 
like elk hunting, you're, you know, you're in some gorgeous spots too, like, you know, Aspens and all that, but you're in the timber a lot. And I just love to like see scenery. That's why I kind of got into photography. It is like to see everything. And, uh, I mean, yeah, we could totally dive into mule deer in another podcast for sure. I'd be all yeah. for that. Cause I could, <laughs> I could go off all day on it. I mean, if, a lot of guys love, love elk cause they bugle. I mean, like if, man, I mean, that's, that's an, that's an awesome rush, but seeing a big old buck in a high country basin and trying to outsmart them, like, oof. Yeah, that's right up there with hearing a hearing a bull bugle. Yeah, that I I think I'd be the same way. I saw some giant deer last year in Colorado, and and uh, I opted to not. I had enough points for the unit, and I ended up just taking another preference point, and I was really kicking myself in the ass. But if I would have got the tag and was hunting elk, I probably wouldn't have seen any um, deer like that. But they were there were some phenomenal deer. It's just like you said, the the game of trying to figure out how to stalk them and, and get in on them. It was it would be just absolutely crazy. Oh yeah, but, and then you throw a bow in your hand, bow in your hand too. Oof. Yeah, I, I helped my That's brother challenges. with a, with a muzzleloader. He had a muzzleloader tag in Colorado and um, helped him on a few different stocks and everything. Even with that, it was extremely difficult to get on, you know, the the deer. But then figuring out where they're betting. But like I said, we'll we'll dive into that at another time. Um, what yeah, I sorry, I'm, I'm already starting to dive down a rabbit hole. Yeah, no, I am too. <laughs> I, I want to ask you questions on it, but. To get kind of back on topic, what I wanted to bring you on here for, Brady, is so I my whole actually pretty much since I've started shooting archery throughout times I struggle with target panic. And recently it fired up this spring as I didn't shoot as much actually I didn't shoot at all this winter where I normally do. Um, I had moved and, and didn't have a place indoors to shoot. And I have a whole lot of excuses I can come up with. But anyways, I started shooting again this spring and was just really struggling with, I couldn't get my pin on the dot. You know, I, and I always struggled shooting dots on targets. I've always was better with shooting 3d targets, but um, my pin is just stuck low. And what I've heard it, you know, being dubbed six o'clock syndrome. And I was just like, I am determined to fix this this time and, you know, beat this. So I started searching online and came across your article, which I think was the most detailed article that I've found, you know, breaking down your, um, you know, struggle with target panic. And I, I think actually the name of the title is my name is Brady Miller and I have target panic or severe target <laughs> yep. panic. Yeah. So, um, yep. do you want to start here, Brady, by just talking a little bit about, you know, kind of what, you know, you consider target panic and, you know, what that is in some of your process of, of trying to beat that or why you decided to do that? Yeah. So my full on, I guess I'll, I'll admit that I think it's it definitely all in your head. And at some point in my archery, you know, shooting, you know, tournaments, I used to do a lot of 3D tournaments and bow hunting a ton. You know, I kept just head thinking like, oh, I'm shooting just great. And all of a sudden I had some bad days here and there. And I was like, oh, let's just cough it up as, you know, I'm just, you know, not shooting well that day. But I never really wanted to admit, you know, it's that saying, like you just, you have to admit you have a problem before you can fix it. I never wanted to admit I had a problem in archery. I was just like one of those tough headed guys. So I'm just going to battle through it. And, you know, I'm so like detail oriented when I like tune a bow, when I work on any of my arrows, you know, I build everything the same. And so I'm just like very, very in tune to like, I need to hit that X exactly right. I need to hit that deer exactly on that hair. 
And so I think a lot of it came down to my, my drive to just be too perfect in a way that I would just all of a sudden start breaking apart. Cause I would just realize like, Hey, I, my, you hold your, you hold your pin up and it should just be completely still. Like it should not move at all. And so I would just always want to be right on that X and never could let my mind relax and just let my pin float around. Like I was just forcing it to be on that X, be on that X. And it got to the point where I would just be focusing on there, which I think target, target banks totally just like, you know, anxiety and anticipation for the most part. It's, you know, I think it's like kind of a disorder in a way where, you know, it causes you to freeze off target or flinch or punch, punch a release. And to me, it was freezing low. Like you said, the whole six o'clock thing, like I literally got to the point where I cannot pick my arm up and make it go on the X. Once I got to full draw and if I was already had, you know, my, my pin was already moving down through the, through the 3d target. And if I got below it, like that chest level, there was nothing in the world I could do to pick my arm up. Absolutely nothing. Like I, I will say when I, when I put that title of the article together, like severe target panic, I have, you know, at that time I had severe, severe target panic to the point where I think I explained in this article, it made shooting a bow not fun. Yep. Like I never, I never, I never admitted it to anyone, never admitted it to myself, but like I would get done shooting and be like, man, why the frick did I like, you know, miss that target? Like, why did I do this? And like the, the realization came to me last year when I was shooting just with friends on the 3D range, it was a target. I remember it so vividly. It was like, at, I think it was 41 yards, something like that. Some as easy chip shot. And I came to full draw and all of a sudden I just couldn't move anything. I tried to move my arm upwards to like just float it up in there and, and punch it. Cause it's like my mind, I, I was thinking I wasn't doing anything right, but I noticed it later on because I watched it on film cause we were just filming it, like filming us having fun in the art and the range. And I literally shot my arrow seven feet to the right, <laughs> completely missed the target. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like what and like the rest of the day after i was like hey let me see this footage really quick and i like looked at it and i was like why did i shoot way to the right like that i totally just was freezing low the whole time and tried to pick my arm up really quick like i was believing i was doing this like you know subconsciously but obviously i'm consciously moving my arm up to try to get my my bow back in there and since i can't move it up like i freeze so bad low i just pulled my arm up and pulled it to the right and shot and just really missed the target like the most horrible shot you could ever think of so right there i was like man i have a problem like really bad and it's been masked forever because i never you know i just dealt with that i just kept shooting more and shooting more and thinking the more arrows i shoot the more i'll get better but it's like i wasn't you know, i didn't have that perfect practice things that came down to so for me it was just like a fear a total fear of slightly missing the x and just like that pressure i put on myself to succeed and to be perfect which in archery like now I look back at it like I just go to the range and have fun. Like I just wanted it to be so perfect back in the day. And I think, like you said, like shooting spots for you like messes you up. Like I cannot shoot spots. Like that was the biggest downfall because I tried to get into, uh, you know, since I moved to Vegas, it's hot a lot of time. I was like, hey, I'm going to go, you know, to the archery shop and shoot in their warehouse and shoot spots and maybe join a spot league and do that stuff. And like that just messes me up because I want to, I want to hold exactly on that and I could not let my mind just let that pin float. Yeah. And just knowing and after realizing it finally, I look back and like I, I, I swear I've had target panic for what it be now. Yeah, now it's twenty nineteen. I've had target panic for ten years and just dealt with it. And I shot so many animals back in the day and like it gets like I always felt like like you said, shooting three D works and I get an animal in front of me and I can I focus in for whatever reason. I don't feel like I have target panic when animals in front of me. But in twenty fifteen I lost 
like the biggest mule deer of my life. The first, first animal I've ever shot, hit and lost. And it just tore me up. Like it just demolished me. And part of me, you know, I'm sitting back there thinking about everything that went on, how the situation presented itself. You know, yeah, I could have maybe done some things different, you know, it was 51 yard shots, pretty steep downhill. Uh, I, you know, I hit him kind of far back in the ribs and exited out, blow was pouring out of him, running away. I kind of thought like, maybe I'll blame it on my broadheads. Like the typical thing, like, oh yeah, I shoot in fixed blades. I should have been shooting, you know, big <laughs> animals that'll cut them all up. Yeah. But like, <laughs> like part of me is like, you know, I, I think I, I, after realizing what happened to me last year at the range, I was like, I think I lost that deer because I had target panic. I think I froze. I, I was trying to relive it in my head. I think I froze low on it and tried pulling up and then just, you know, biffed it pull the arrow to the right just like i did in that target at 41 yards and i'm like to, uh, to right there it almost made me want to like stop bow hunting because i put myself in a situation where i had the biggest buck in my life in front of me never had a buck this big before just giant deer and to hit that deer and lose it just tore me up like i felt so bad for you know not being able to find them first of all like it's a filmed hunt you know all the stuff we're like doing and just uh to waste an animal's life. I mean, I don't know if he lived or, or is totally dead somewhere. We never found him, but like that just ate me up inside to the point where, you know, I was like, I either, I stopped bowling for a little bit. And then now I figured out I had target panic and it was able to, you know, go through this whole steps that I tried to lay out, which was like, I just started consuming every piece of content I could about shooting a bow, target panic, watching YouTube videos. And like, man, there's gotta be a good process to do behind this to like help you fix it besides for everyone just says oh you should just blank bail like i blank bailed before and i never fixed target panic but i didn't have a i didn't have a process behind my training in a way and so i was like hey let's just, i'm just gonna write an article and just totally go through my week-to-week process and we'll see if it sticks and i got done writing this article and by the time i was done i was like man i could you know i ended it on we'll see what happens next week and by the time when I published the article, it's like, there really is no next week because I fixed everything. Like, I, somehow going through the whole step-by-step process, whatever I laid out, I don't know why it worked for me, but it just, I was able to totally clear my target panic away where right now I can shoot my bow and I have the time of my life again. It's like back to like I mean, when I was, you know, shooting, you know, five years ago when I might not have had target panic as bad and just like now I enjoy everything about archery again. Yeah. Like, you don't realize you have an issue until you finally sit down with yourself and have a deep talk with your inner soul. Like, wow, something's wrong right now. I'm not enjoying this as much as I used to. Yep. That's, I mean, that's the same, the same thing that I was, well, am, you know, somewhat currently going through. I just, I'd go out and I was just, I would, my anxiety was actually, I started using one of those, uh, Garmin watches and I was, my heart rate was like spiking and I was just, you could tell I was just getting, you know, pissed at myself for, for doing that, you know, holding, I couldn't get it up. And then all of a sudden my, my neck was getting sore and I realized that I was scrunching my arm cause I was trying so hard to pick it up to get it on the dot. And I, I started watching, um, John Dudley's YouTube videos, the school of knock. He just came out with going step by step through your form again and, and doing that. And some of Joel Turner's stuff that you mentioned in the article and just trying to, like you say, consume all that stuff. I can, I talked to a couple of my, buddies that are that were did some coaching and everything else and they were trying to help me through it and and a lot of what you know they told me aligned with you know your article and like you said you were you said you took in a lot of stuff you have listed here a bunch of books that you had read and everything else as far as you know the process so once you took in that information what was kind of your next step to getting back on track 
yeah. So like, yeah, the first whole part of it was just basically the learning and what I call like the goal setting. That's why like I was trying to read a lot of books that had things to do with like mind control, like just like envisioning, you know, mental picture, that sort of thing. And basically it was just like not releasing an arrow. Like, I don't think I released an arrow until, you know, I was four weeks into it and I never released an arrow. And like, I probably, if I, if I did this all again, I probably would extend this out a little bit further. But since I admitted I had target panic around, I think it was the second week of June last year. Like I, I was crunch time. I had a hunt August 10th. So I was like, I have to get this fixed like really quickly. So like at first it was, yeah, it was all this goal setting and trying to figure out everything, what to do. And then once I finally had like, okay, I kind of understand, a, like definitely probably not the expert to talk about mind, like the whole mind game thing. That's why those books like by David Mack and, and Lenny Bassam, who's like guys who have trained like Olympic like athletes who deal with like the mind control game, the mental side of, you know, sports. I think those are very, play a lot into archery. And then, then it was just basically, okay, now I need to retrain my shot process, basically redo everything again. Like how, how I hold my, how, how I hold my wrist on, you know, a bow and pulling back on a, on a, just like a, basically it's just like a, you know, a little post with a string on it. It's like a release training aid. Like that was like the biggest step for me right there is just, Hey, I need to grab a, a training aid, set my bow on the ground, never pick it up again and just go through the shot process. Like just sit there and basically blind bail in a sense, but on a, on a string and just work on closing my eyes, practice on that perfect shot. And that's where I realized too, like a lot of guys will say, Oh, you should, you should try shooting a, a hinge release for a little bit. Cause I shoot a thumb like all the time. I just like the, the hand, how it feels in my hand compared to an index finger release. And I can punch a thumb like any, like, the best of them. I can punch that thing all day long, but then feel like, Oh, pick up a hinge. Like you won't be able to punch a hinge. And Oh boy, I, I can literally punch a hinge too. Like that punching a hinge to me is way easier than punching a thumb. Like you're supposed to just be able to relax and the, and the shot process will break through when you're, you know, when your hand is relaxed, but like even that wasn't working for me. So that's when like, you know, John Dudley came out with that, uh, silverback. I can't remember when he came out with the silverback. Was that like 20, 2017 late 2018 somewhere around there yeah i think i think it, yeah i think it was last year sometime <laughs> yeah it was it was fairly recent because before that it was like the carter evolution release and i just really liked you know dudley just for everything he's done for the archery community i was like this release has got to be solid i love the two-finger design and that's when i was like hey i need to start you know using a, a tension-based release so i could totally forget everything about my hand control i, I can't i can punch a thumb i can punch a hinge and that's where that like tension activated release on a on a string training device was just key for me. I just basically sat there, you know, for twenty some minutes a day in the morning, you know, maybe twenty minutes middle of the day, and at the end of the day, like after work, I would just sit there. Roll, you know, my wife and I were watching TV, and I would just close my eyes on a string training device and just you know click through shots after shot after shot from that string device, just to, like retrain everything in my head because like. The, the mental part of it, I think I was just completely lacking. Like my mind was strong in the sense I wanted to hit the X so perfectly, but it was very weak in the fact that like, I couldn't let my mind, let my pin float around. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's where that's like, just picking up a string device, which is, you can just make them. I think I made one before. I have a ski pole, an old grip and some string coming back and measured it to my exact draw length. And I think a bunch of other companies make them too now. But like that was the first part of it. I was just, Hey, let's pick up the string device just shoot it every single day use very you know precise thought process through which i clear your mind and just just do repetition like just don't worry because you i pick up a bow and you can just blank bail but like still I, like i had to get that bow out of the equation i think that was doing it for me and just 
the weight of the bow, everything like that. And it's like, I need to just, you know, start over. Yeah. No, that's, um, it's interesting. And it's funny, like, like you said, with the release thing, I think that's everyone's first step and, you know, not really admitting it, but they want to all just switch releases, which is what I, I did. I shot an index finger and I switched to a thumb, um, two years ago and I didn't give it enough time and I wasn't used to it. So I switched back to my index finger and, you know, had, had a good season. I made it happen when it needed to on animals, but I knew I was still struggling with it. So I went full into, uh, shooting a Scott Sigma release and got used to that really good. And I seemed to kind of go away for a little bit, but it was more or less a band aid. It seemed like on it. And, you know, and that's, and then just recently I borrowed, um, a back tension release, um, a, a true ball and it's got a safety on it and everything else. Cause I was kind of concerned with that. I've never shot a hinge style or a back tension release in my life. And so that's what, you know, in the last few weeks I, you know, I kind of made a, a string type, uh, trainer like you're talking about. And then, and then also I, I have incorporated, you know, blank bail, um, shooting into it, but, um, shooting with like a back tension like that, if you're not, if you're not fully in it in your mind, you're not getting that shot to go. Like if I'm not relaxed and just letting it, letting it go, like I'm not aiming or anything, I'm not at that point yet, but otherwise it makes it so hard to go off. But if you're relaxed and kind of feeling good and letting the shot process happen, it goes off like butter. It seems exactly. Yeah. That's, that's why I think like for me, like you probably, like I, I seem to, I think in my head, like right now when you're saying that, like you had target panic less than I did. Like I had to go through the whole, like basically four weeks straight of my mind just does not allow me to, to shoot any sort of release. Cause like, like you said, you could just focus really, really clearly or just, you know, get all your thoughts out of your head and make that release go off. And like, that's what I remember like back in the day I could do. But then like now it's just like, it just wasn't working for me. And that's, <laughs> that's what I think like going straight four weeks in a row of never picking up a bow, never releasing an arrow and just using that string device. Like it can be amazing what your mind, you can retrain your mind to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think it takes a lot of discipline to do that because you probably so badly wanted just to pick up your bow and shoot or even blank bail I've been struggling with it. I just, let me just go back to 20 yards. Let me just, you know, let me, you know, it's so hard because it's, it is a boring process. It's not as exciting as actually shooting, but. Uh, oh, it's so boring. Especially when you have your friends like call you up like, Hey, we're going up to the archery range this weekend. want to go. And I'm like, I would love to, but maybe I'll go and just take photos. And I would, you know, I'm missing out on all that fun, but it's like, I have to, you know, take three steps back to eventually crawl forward again. And, that's why, like this, like I, I know so many friends who can't even say the word target panic because they're afraid they're going to get it. Like that's what I think <laughs> bad it is in the archery, like bow, any archer, bow hunter, bencher is going to have it. And yeah, those that like the whole string thing. I think that was the biggest part for me. And like the, you know, that um, the silver back being a tension activated release. So basically, I'm just pulling through the shot, mm-hmm. pulling through the shot, setting up to the exact weight and pulling every single time. And like getting to that point where mental game is strong. And then for every reason, it was four weeks. It took me to the point where I was like, man, this is, this is going smoothly. And then I think it was week five where I finally started, you know, picking up a bow and blank billing. And even that was a, you know, process where I was like, Hey, I got to take my time through this blank billing section too, because, you know, I could easily, like you said earlier, I could get tempted right now. And like, yeah, let's just go back to 20 yards and, and try it out, see how I'm at right now. But it's like just being disciplined to like, no, you're going to sit in front of this target 
you're going to blank bail it and you're going to launch, you know, try to launch 50 arrows a day with your eyes closed. And that's why even like I was, t- I was taking off my sight on my bow. So I wouldn't even get tempted like, oh, let's open my eyes a little bit. See where my arrow's going at the target. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just like being disciplined. Well, the, the, the hard part for me is I have next week total archer challenges in Pennsylvania and I have a booth there for four days and I know everyone's going to be there wanting to shoot. And I'm like, you know, my, my buddy, uh, Clint Casper, one of the ones that was kind of coaching me through it. He's like, dude, do not shoot. Don't even take your bow. He's like, you're going to set yourself back. He's like, you're going to, you need to just stay focused on not, he was the one told me, he's like, take that site and hide it. Don't even, you know, bring it out right now. He goes, you need to focus and start from ground zero. He's like, if you do that, and then he goes, once you're at the point where you're ready for it, you'll be so much further ahead than if you try to, you know, go and shoot some of these 3d tournaments and everything else, especially something like total archer challenge or not, you know, close shots. I, I remember last year I was shooting and it was, you know, you, and once it, it also, you know, for me, at least it heightens my anxiety a little bit being around a lot of people, you know, for the first like big shoot of the year. And I was, I was shooting, um, there was a, there was a bunch of us there. And I remember, uh, Brian call, um, was shooting with us and, and Jordan Harbertson and a few other people. And we had a ton of people and it was kind of like rushed to kind of get through. And I was hundred percent punched in the trigger every time and I was shooting good, but it wasn't from, it was more luck than anything. You know, it was, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, that right there is a, like the most important piece. I think anyone needs to learn, like you can still shoot very, very well, but you still have issues to like in your shot process and that you still have target panic. You might still shoot great with it, but like, yeah, there's, there's things you got to take steps back for. Yeah. I think that was the, the thing that, that took me the longest to admit, you know, I'm like, I'm shooting pretty good. Like I'm shooting on days that I'm good. I'm shooting good, but I could tell my process just wasn't clean. Like I wasn't, I was still struggling with, you know, getting my pin on there. And then it just got to the point where I couldn't get the pin up at all is where I was a few weeks ago. And I was like, all right, this is a pretty good time to do a hard reset. You know, especially shooting around people too. Like that's where I think it accentuated it. Like I said, last year on the range, we had all our friends are up there, a bunch of guys from our Utah office and we had cameras rolling. So like that side of me, like switched back into like my tournament mode. Like when I was you know, doing 3D tournaments back in the day. I was like, I want to be perfect right now. I want to beat my coworkers. I want to crunch them at this. And so I'm trying to hold extra steady. And that's when I just end up falling apart even more. Cause like, that's where like that temptation, I know you were saying like, yeah, I could bring my bow up there and shoot, but like you do that and you're just going to take even more steps back. I feel like, because, or, you know, your thought process in the mind, just not there yet to be like picking up a bow and shooting right now. Cause you're just going to want to hold tighter and you hold tighter and you're going to end up holding low. <laughs> like that was all it was for me. Yeah. Once I started realizing that, like, oh man, why was I doing this for so long? And never just taking my time to sit back and go through this this process. It's a slow process. And yeah, I'll admit it's super, super boring. <laughs> like to sit there with your wife and you're just sitting there with a little training device just clicking <laughs> all the time. And 
you know, here I am, I'm this big bow hunter and I have to sit here with a string and, <laughs> and keep practicing. Yeah. You got, you got, you got your training wheels on your bike. You can't even go mountain biking with the boys, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, when, when we were talking a little bit about releases there, I mean, do you think that that tension activated release, do you think that played a big deal in helping you? Or do you think that someone could, you know, still beat this following that process with any other release? I 100% believe you could beat it with any release. If you're an index guy and you just want to practice with index release the whole time, you could beat it. But I think it was just for me, it was just I was so deep in the rabbit hole of having target panic really, really bad. Like I said, I could punch a thumb. I could punch a you know a, a hinge back tension release. And once I picked up that tension release, like a lot of things just came clear to me like, wow, this is this is what a shot used to feel like. Like it's total surprise. So you don't know when it's going to go off because all you're doing is holding there and just slightly, you know, pulling back on it like you should, you know, like everything's feels great again. And like even like going through that process with, with the tension release, like right now when I go up to the range, like I rarely shoot my thumb. Like the only time I shoot my thumb right now is, you know, maybe at the end of the day, I want to make sure everything's still golden. But like right now when I'm practicing at, you know, 3D targets, at just any other spot targets, like I still use my, my, um, tension release. I love it. I wish I could hunt with it. I just don't think it's safe enough or ethically enough to, you know, let go of that. I could be pulling back in the wall because sometimes when I come up to the 3D range, I'll notice I get tired. I'm not pulling as hard or I'm pulling too hard and I'll let the safety off of the tension release and boom, that arrow will expire. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much extra things that go into it. So I would love to hunt with it. But like for me, that was a hundred percent led to me beating target panic. Yeah. I went through a lot of steps. I read a lot of books. I watched a lot of YouTube videos, but I think when it came down to it, shooting with tension, just let me clear everything out of my head. And now when I pick up my thumb and do the same thing, I can put my finger over the thumb. Like back when I had target panic, if I put my finger over my thumb and got ready to shoot, I instantly could see my arm start creeping down because I was trying to focus on too many things at once. And now when I put my thumb around the finger, I'm just like, well, this is the same thing I've been doing with my tension release. I know eventually the shot's going to break because I'm going to start putting pressure on my thumb. Thumb's going to make that, you know, that little barrel of the thumb thumb release go off and boom, that arrow's going to go right where I want it to. Mm-hmm. And like that, there's something to be said about that tension release. I mean, it's, it might seem like, okay, yeah, you're dumping a lot of money into extra gimmicks to try to fix a problem. But like in this case, I think this piece of gear really does help you fix a problem that, a lot of us are probably struggling with. Yeah. No, I, I, I think there's more people like that you kind of said at the beginning that are dealing with this than they like to admit. And that's, I just wanted to, you know, cover that from that standpoint. It's just, um, one, one other question I had on the releases. Um, I, I know when, when I first, I guess when I first started hearing about, you know, back tension style releases and hinge style, I had no idea that there's a difference between them. And until I started working at an archery shop. So do you want to kind of briefly, you know, tell the differences between those types of releases, just like the, either the tension activated or the hinge release or, um, you know, whatever else along that, that standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, most everyone's, you know, accustomed to like the index style release, which is basically like a trigger of a gun. Like that's just one where you, you know, come to full drop, put your trigger in front of it, slightly squeeze through the shot, and the arrow's going to go off. And then you step up to things a little bit differently, which is like a thumb release, which I keep saying, which is basically, it just has a, you know, a little, uh, I don't know what you call it, a little bar that comes out that your thumb rests over. And instead of having your index finger 
control the shot. Your thumb is actually controlling it. So you could still squeeze through with your thumb, but that's not exactly what you want to be doing because that's still, you know, that, that means you're, you're consciously releasing. We should be subconsciously shooting. So basically, your thumb, you can shoot like a back tension release. It's basically then you're getting a full draw. You're getting all settled in. It's your thumb over the little barrel of it, and you're just slowly like – the way I kind of describe it in my head is I'm slowly just like – putting pressure on my thumb and eventually my thumb, like the meat of my thumb is contacting um, that barrel and making the, the, the release go off because I'm pulling through with my back muscles. So basically it's just, you know, eventually increasing tension on that. It's making the, the my thumb move a, like slightly basically because of the meat of it. I may have not explain it too great, but eventually then the shot's going to go off. Yeah. Yep. With the thumb. But I, but I also, but I also could in a hunting as well, kind of like the thumb in a hunting situation, I could be like, Oh, the shot's presenting itself right now. I need to make the shot go off. I could maybe do that, even though that is punching the trigger. Yeah. And and then stepping up from that is like the full hinge. And that's what you see a lot of the guys, you know, on the 3D circuits, you know, like guys like, you know, Levi Morgan, that sort of thing. They're shooting all the hinge releases. So basically that's activated on like a half sear moon design where ba- you're getting a full draw and all it takes is your arm moving backwards or in a sense you're, you're relaxing your hand. And so it's causing the release to slightly rotate in your hand your, your aiming point and everything's staying the same, but you're just relieving pressure. And so it's making that half sear kind of move around to the point where all of a sudden um, there's a little, like tooth at the end of the release is making it pop off and then boom, your release goes off. So it's able to like subconsciously, you're just getting a full draw. You basically pull back with your first two fingers so the release doesn't fire. And then once you get to full draw, you kind of are either relaxing your hand or slightly putting pressure on like some of your back pinky um, ring finger. And then it's making the release go off. That's why it rotates over on the sear. And that's what most people would consider like a back tension style release of those, of those hinges. But like I said earlier, you can punch it. Like I can, I know how to activate it. So I could just release and, and move my hand a little bit and it would make it go off. But like those releases, I feel like are like a hinge. I, I, when I pick up a hinge and shoot, I still shoot them right now. Like I can make a really good shot on a hinge where, you know, maybe my index style release, if I try to put one of those on, I'm going to instantly try to punch it because this is a trigger out in front of my my finger and my mind yeah. thinks, oh yeah, just punch that little thing and it's going to go off where everything else, a hinge allows you just to focus on, okay, let's make that pin float. Let's just, you know, consciously aim, subconsciously shoot. And that's where like the back tension excels because you're not thinking about making that release go off. It's just naturally going off because you're getting so comfortable and relaxed and boom, that, you know, release clicks off. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's truly kind of an amazing process. Like when you do it, it seems so difficult, but, but once you, you know, go through it, I, I was amazed at, you know, once you relax and you do everything, your form's correct, it does just kind of go off. But you know it's, when you're not, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's a scary thing to pick up for a back tension release for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where I definitely, anyone's going to pick one up, you should definitely grab a piece of string or, you know, a shoelace or something like that and try to click it on there and try to pull it back because you you could instantly punch yourself in the face with a hinge. <laughs> like if you, if you, if you grab the hinge wrong and you're actually putting pressure on your back fingers and try to pull, come to full draw, right? When you start to get to full draw, that releases, the sear is going to move and you're going to, right hand's going to come smacking back at your face. <laughs> so there's definitely some fear. I've definitely, I've done it before. So don't, don't punch yourself in the face and practice with it beforehand. But yeah, it's, I don't even, so hard to describe how it works but like when you have a shot go off correctly on a hinge it's like it's kind of like a game changer in a way it's it's super fun to shoot with one because like wow that's a perfect shot yeah like you didn't you didn't you didn't consciously make the release go off it just went off and and 
because you were aiming at that target in that spot. So precisely with your subconscious mind, that that's where the arrow went because you're, you know, looking that direction and you didn't have to focus on making the release go off. And that's a perfect shot. Yeah. I, I know on Saturday I, I decided I was like, I'm not doing anything in the evening. I'm just going to focus. I'm going to shoot my bow. And, and I, once I f- was like getting in that rhythm where they were going off, like I was just, I was there by myself, but I was just smiling. I was just like, yes, you know, this feels good. You know, it just goes off on its own. And I was only, you know, blank bail shooting, but still you just, it, it feels great when that, and you know, when it goes off correctly. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard thing to describe, but like when, if, if you're practicing it and you experience it once, you're like, whoa, that's totally different than anything I've done before. And then you realize the result of that arrow went and you're like, well, that went exactly where I want it to go even though I wasn't thinking about aiming or thinking about releasing right there, just it all happens smoothly. Yep. Like it's an amazing thing. That's where like some of those books, like, you know, like Joel Turner, like his whole, you know, shop, like the science of target panic, like his whole series he has now, I can't remember what he, he has a new, like a uh, um, school thing he has too. Like he's a, a wizard when it comes to like that mind and in the unanticipated shot and, yeah, I've, I've listened to him on a bunch of podcasts. I haven't checked out any of his material as far as his courses or anything, but on the podcast, I mean, it was really good. I, I go through this shot process as he talks about basically talking to yourself and having mm-hmm. kind of a mantra as you're going through it. Yep. And it just helps you focus on it every time because it's easy to get into a rhythm and you know forget about you know important details. But so do you think now that you are cured of it, do you feel pretty good every time you go out to the range? I do, but I, I, I try to stay humble about it. Like I, I'm still, I'm still going home, you know, sometimes in the evenings, I, d- I definitely don't do it. Yeah. I probably should do it way more than I do, but like everyone else, you know, you can say excuses, you're busy and whatnot. But like, I do try to go back through my whole system and s- sit with a string for a while shoot with that, do some blank bell shooting. Cause like, I don't, I don't fully, like to fully admit, I don't think I'm fully cured. Like I can definitely, you know, see myself slipping. Maybe it's, you know, I've been shooting a bunch for a couple hours, you know, and then at the end of the day, I start realizing, wow, my, you know, I'm starting to freeze a little bit. That's why I just say, Hey, I need to stop right now. I need to not force things. Or back in the day, I would probably keep shooting. It's like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to work through this. I'm going to push through this and keep, you know, make my arms stay up and I'm just getting fatigued. And that's when I just like go back home and be like, okay, like that was bad. <laughs> like you need to know when to stop shooting my bow and when to just take it back to the basics and like just pick up my, you know, my tension release and start just practicing again and just keep reinforcing those steps over and over again. Because I, I do think you can get like, I'm, I would probably say I'm cured and like go back on that. But like, I know I could slip back and go back in my own ways because and it's just not something I want to do. That's why I'm like, okay, baby steps here. I went through this whole thing last year. I shot amazing. I still shoot amazing right now. And I'm just going to continue to, you know, utilize all these tools that I put in front of me. Like I got to keep, you know, using these foundation I laid in front of me as every single day. Like I got to, you know, shoot a layup before I can shoot a three pointer, you know, it's got to keep doing those close shots before I can ever just fully go out and just let it rip all the time. Like, yeah, it's not, I, I know, I, I know I'll slip back into it. Like it's like my, my way my mindset works. Why I want to be so perfect at things. Like I could, I could see it coming back. And that's why I just, I just can't let it do that. And that's why you just get, keep reinforcing these steps all the time. Yeah. It's a complete conscious, you know, effort every time you go out to, to focus on it. And that's where I'm just trying to like, 
especially right now too, I'm just shooting one arrow at a time. Cause when I start, you know, piling up four or five arrows to shoot, I remember from the past shooting, I'd start to get lazy or do something different, you know, cause you just get in this rhythm and I'm trying to be, you know, present in each shot and, and really focus on it. And that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, like I said, where I'm at right now. And I hope that by following some of these steps here that I can, you know, be, consider myself somewhat cured by the time hunting season comes around. Uh, I, I totally believe everyone can get there too. It's just like the steps seem so boring and so repetitive, but it's like after a while you are totally retraining everything about your mind, retraining everything about your shot and it's starting to work. Like that's why like even right now when I go to the range and shoot 3d, like at the end of the, at the end of the day when I'm done, even though I might be tired, I will go to the close range bales and I'll sit there, you know, like five, 10 feet in this blank bale just blank bell and just keep going. And like, this is how I want to end every day. Blank belling and on a good shot and on a good smooth fluid motion and then go home and realize, Hey, that was a good day. I accomplished something. I did perfect practice and I ended on, you know, a bunch of Blake bell shooting with my tension release and just keep reinforcing those steps all the time. And like I said, like I, I was a complete wreck last year about this time. And right now, like looking back on it, I'm a totally different, totally different bow hunter, totally different archer. Like, it's it's amazing like if i could have someone watch what i did before and what i do now it's it's like that like i said before i I love everyday shooting again or before it was just like okay yeah i'm struggling but i'm still shooting good and you never know why that is you just constantly think you need to pound more more repetition more arrows more arrows but that's in my case i'm sure a lot of other people's cases that's not the end all solution yeah well that's uh that's good. Like I said, I'm going to stay disciplined and hopefully fix the process and hopefully anybody else that's listening, that's going through it. And from, you know, just the few conversations that I had with people through Instagram and stuff, it seems like a lot of people have either had it or are going through it. And it was awesome to see the. I mean, it's cool with, you know, platforms like social media that you can connect with a lot of different people. I mean, I had a bunch of people reaching out and uh, just from an Instagram story that I had saying I was struggling with it that were like, you know, giving me their process, how they got through it. And it was just like, it's really cool to, uh, to be able to see it's that. A, it is the best. Like I, when I released the article last year and I think I shared a few stories and maybe a, you know, Instagram like timeline or feed post and like the people who reach out in DMS and ask you and offer their suggestions. It's like, it is legit the coolest thing to see happen because we all just want to see everyone succeed. And like, I've never met a lot of these people before. And, you know, it's like the coolest thing ever to have people reaching out like, Oh my gosh, I was there. I've been through that, you know, giving words of encouragement and just like, it's, it's archery and bow hunting community. That's why it's so like such an awesome thing to be a part of. Like everyone wants to succeed and we're all willing to do whatever we can to help another person out to help fix it. Because once you fix it, my gosh, like, like I said, shooting's fun again. (laughs) Yeah, until someone asks you about your hunting spot, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's a running joke at the office. I always I, I'm the best at lying. Yeah, <laughs> when it comes to that sort of thing. But same here. Uh, it's amazing. I don't, some even, I, don't even, I don't even tell my wife that information. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, anyways, uh, it, Brady, do you have anything else that you want to add on this topic, or do you think uh, we about covered it? I think we've about covered it. I know I've been rambling along 
rambling quite a bit because I drink a lot of coffee. I'm trying to like, you know, slow my words down a little bit, but <laughs> I think that I think the main thing is just admitting that you can improve a little bit and admitting that you, you know, might be freezing a little bit and maybe taking a step back, even if you're shooting great right now, look up some sort of, you know, training things you could do with your bow. Like as, as bad as it, like, I wish I would have hired a coach back in the day for archery. Maybe I still, you know, should. Cause like we hire coaches for everything else in our life. You have a coach, you know, growing up playing sports, you have coaches for, you know, working on anything about business related stuff. And like an archery coach, a lot of people just throw that up to the side. Like, okay, yeah, that's silly. It's just, you know, it's a weapon. You pick it up, you shoot it. It's like a rifle. You don't need a, you know, but like in a sense, like an archery coach, I think could help a lot of us out and figuring out what we're doing and what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. And it's like breaking everything down again, start from scratch. Like we always pick up so many bad habits and more and more you do things. I think a coach and just maybe taking steps back and, you know, going through steps like I did here and anyone else who's written about, you know, anything archery training related, like John Dudley's new like YouTube series, like the school of knock, like I still haven't done that yet. And that's honestly something I am going to be starting next week. Cause you just reminded me of it earlier. Like, wow, I remember that video series, but I never jumped on it. Like that's, it's like, good. That information is gold. Yeah. He breaks it down better than anybody I've ever seen. Like the simplest steps he find like, just found a way to explain it and show it. And it's, it's really, really beneficial. Yeah. I've even searched a couple of those like hashtags that he had, or people were doing it or tagged him into like all like the, the, the user's targets throughout the whole entire school of knock series. They saved every single one of them and was like showing their improvements. of like, wow, like that, that helped him. Like it could help anyone. Yeah. It's just taking a, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day and doing these steps. Like it's all, we have so much time in the day. Like we could easily take 15 minutes out to, train train our thought process and shoot our bow better you know it's yep something i want to yep it's easy to say we don't have time and i'm very guilty of that myself with a lot of things but it um you can definitely find time that's for sure and uh yeah like i said it, i think it's just you know admitting it from an ego standpoint a little bit you know i know that was that way with me i'm like oh i don't you know have a problem i don't need to to worry about it or even, you know, subconsciously or, or I guess consciously I did know I did, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, definitely interesting and, and a process we all need to kind of work on and to be the best, you know, bow hunters we can be. So, well, um, well yeah, well, what I, Brady, what I wanted to end this with is just, if you wanted to give the listeners some places that they can find some more information on yourself um, and go hunt anything like that, that you want to, you know, throw out there, kind of throw some, some tags out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're always trying to come up with more stuff and we're for this year, we're trying to ramp up a bunch more like video side of things on our like go hunt YouTube channel. We're going to be diving into a bunch more of these like archery training tips, archery tuning videos, just sort of general things like that. So our YouTube channel is going to be like getting a lot more of that, like you know, how to, how to get out in the mountains, how to, you know, set up your backpack, that sort of thing. And anything archery related to just everyone's a lot more visual based. I've, I'm starting to figure out than like article based. Like I, when I write articles, they tend to be, you know, 20 some pages long. <laughs> and a lot of people might get, might get scared to read an article that way, but they'd watch, you know, a five minute video. So we're going to start doing a little more videos on that, but yeah, definitely, you know, always check out gohunt.com. We have a lot of free articles there that are open to anyone along with our, you know, insider only related content and just, we're always trying to keep pushing those and keep, you know, trying to think of new ways to, you know, help people get in the field. And I think through that, through the YouTube, through a gear shop, we're just 
you know, trying to showcase, Hey, let's get out in the field. Let's be more successful. And let's, you know, be a better bow hunter by doing some of these tips of target panic and just, you know, get out there, enjoy, enjoy everything that we have out in front of us and don't take it for granted. Cause like everyone's getting older every single day. And, you know, I'm only, you know, almost 33 years old now. And there's a lot of things right now that I regret I didn't do way back in the day. So it's just like, get out there, get out West and, and hunt. I think right now is the biggest thing. Yep. I, I agree. All right, man. Well, Hey, I appreciate you coming on and talking here, Brady. It's, uh, it was a, a pleasure to, to be able to talk to you about it. Hey, thanks for having me. I definitely apologize for, uh, being a little busy the last couple of times we reached out, but glad we got her, got her nailed down. Yeah, no, no, that's no problem. And uh, maybe if we can, uh, nail down another one at some point, we can talk mule deer. Oh, I, I would love to talk mule deer. You know that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.